again into Galilee and he must needs go through Samaria then cometh he to a city of Samaria which is called Sychar near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph now Jacob's well was there Jesus therefore being weird, wearied with his journey sat thus on the well and it was about the sixth hour there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water and Jesus saith unto her give me to drink for his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. 
But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me of this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus said unto her, Go call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast is hast is not that now hast is not thy husband, and that saidest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples, and marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot, and went her way into the city, and saith to the man, Come see a man, which told me all things that ever I did. Is, this, is not this the Christ? And then they went out of the city, and came unto him. In the meanwhile his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. And he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore, said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Amen. In all of our lives, when we are God's children, I think we can all look back and at certain times and in certain places realize how God put people into our lives for the purpose of the salvation of our soul. I don't know about you, but I can remember probably three, four, five significant people that God placed in my life for the reason that I would come to know Him. And I'm so thankful for them. I don't think any of them really know how great a part they played, and per perhaps I've been remiss in not telling them because it's not wrong to tell somebody that God really used you to help me. But I've been pretty mute about it and haven't told people. But I well remember, and oftentimes when we reflect back upon our life as the children of God, we think about those people and the times, and, and we start to see the plan of God and how that He loved us. And how in His great love for us, how He worked that work within our hearts and how He pursued us. And how he brought us to a place where there would be people who, perhaps one person I remember who started within my heart, started just asking me questions. And those questions that were directed to me then made me turn and start to look within my own heart and try to find answers for them. And then, as I related even the other day, there was a person that God, when I was in the place in my life then that I had brought to a was brought to a place of so much despair and despondency unable to find peace and unable to find hope that 
God then placed another person there who gave hope of salvation. But remember one thing. As important it is that God has placed people in our lives, and they are very important, there's one who can only give living water, and that's the Lord. He's the only one who can come and open himself to a place that we are able to see then the whole plan of how God used people. And then at the end of that matter, that we would not only know just men of earth, but they will, we would know that man, that son of God, who came down from heaven to open himself unto our hearts, so that we would then be formed into his image, that we would be like, the, like God himself, how Jesus comes to live within us, which that which was totally incapable for man to do, we are then find that power within us when Jesus comes to live and abide within us. That we are able, even in situations where we would not find love for anyone, that the love of God constrains us then and it places a different type of an emphasis upon our life. No more do we live the life as the retaliator for that which has happened, but we then start to live our life in that type of a spirit that Christ lived his life. And we know that what his life was like, when everything was put against him, he struck not back. But he was the one that endured for the sake of those who were striking at him. And as Jesus comes and then starts to mold our hearts, more like himself even, we start to look back upon our life. And as we get a little older, we start to see the plan of God. And we then rejoice in knowing that, you know, this salvation that we have within our hearts, that even today that we are able to rejoice in the salvation that we have that lives and abides within us, and we find then that it is something that it is not us who has sought after God, but it was that God sought after us. That it was not us that started to make a big change in our life and started to make a decision that perhaps I needed God in my life, but that it was God who saw us and we were hell-bent we were headed towards a grave that was dark. We were headed towards an eternity that was hot. And there was a God who looked down in, upon earth and loved. And he started to reach towards us and started to even pull the heartstrings that we have. And started to draw us unto himself so that we would not be left fatherless. So that we would not be left alone. But that even today our hearts could be warmed in the knowledge of knowing that Jesus is ours. And that we can have a hope a hope that is beyond this life, that has its anchor in eternity because the Father has created and the Father has finished. He's the beginning and the ending. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one that will bring us then to that heaven's shore. And what a great place it is to be able to rest in that knowledge then that Jesus is the one who has been triumphant, not only in the creating salvation as he redeem mankind by that gift which he gave and not only in that place but in within our own hearts we are able to see that there is a victor who sits upon the throne even today and this victor is none other than the lord and savior himself and so it is that we have read a portion of scripture that speaks similarly to the places even that dave spoke about and it talks about foundations that have to be removed so that we would come to a living and true knowledge of jesus and it's so difficult in our lives when God starts to work and he starts to take away that which is of our own and that which we so cling to. Because it is that way that none of us 
on this side of eternity have experienced death. And so there is naturally a fear of death, which we all have, I believe, because it is a fear of the unknown. For God's people, then, when we come to know the Savior and we come to know the Redeemer, it is then that we are able to look towards death and not with a fear anymore, because we know that on the other side of death there is something so beautiful that we haven't been able to even get a full glimpse of it. But there is something there that God has reserved for those who are his own that we just long for and we want to be made a partaker in. But so it is that when there is that unknown, when God starts to work his work within the heart of man and starts to draw him from a place of where he would be content in himself and starts to bring him to a place that he has to do what? He has to die. You know, that's a tough thing to face. That's so hard for man to face death. And so it is as even the unknown of facing eternal death is so difficult. This spiritual death is also very difficult. And you know, we come into this kingdom of God, sometimes it seems like we come into the kingdom of God, you know, just by strolling in. But it's not that way. It wasn't that way for me. I don't know what it's like for you. But I came kicking and screaming with my heels dug in because I wanted to hang on to that which was my own. I didn't want to give that up because it seemed like that was the only place there was life in what I was and what I could do and what I could be. And as my heels were dug in, there was one who was so much more powerful and he reached across the span of time and he grabbed me by the front of my shirt and he said, you're coming along with me. And as I was drawn through that place of death, that place where the flesh had to die, it was so difficult. But that which happened on the other side, I'm not even able to speak about that glorious moment when the Son of God is revealed and we are able then to see with the eyes of faith the Lord and Savior Jesus and to know Him that He is our possession. This is a matter then that we cannot even fully speak of, but we only with our stumbling tongue speak of that matter of what has come and starts to abide within the heart of man. And how is it then? Is this something then that we want to keep for our own possession and say that no, this is like a natural possession, you know how covetous we are and how selfish we are as people. And we want to keep it and not say that anybody else can have it. But no, this is that type of a treasure then, that we want to run to everyone and we want to show it to them. And say, look what I found. Look what has happened in my life. Look what it is. And you know, there's people that look upon you and they say that this guy must be crazy because he doesn't know what he's talking about. This guy doesn't know at all what's happening in, in life, and he doesn't know anything about salvation. But for the redeemed, you know, their hearts start to burn when the message of salvation starts to be spoke from anyone, even with a dumb tongue. And it starts to be spoken, and we start to hear about one who came and gave his life. The heart of the redeemed starts to burn, and we start to rejoice one with another, don't we? It's a great matter when that feast is spread, and we're able then to partake of that fatted calf, and to behold him who has given himself for us. This is what happened. This is what God wanted to do with this lady. It says that he must needs go through Samaria. It said that he had to pass through there. No, Samaria was a country. Of course, that the people and the inhabitants of Samaria were those type of people that were half-breed Jews. And they were looked upon as those type of people that the Jews didn't want anything to do with. So the Jews would do that when they had to pass from one side of Samaria to another. They were that type of people that they would take the journey all the way around instead of setting foot upon that soiled ground where these half-breed people lived. But it was this way it says that Jesus wanted to come. He had to needs were that he had to come through there. And why is it? I can't believe it's any other reason that he saw the heart of this one woman at the well and he wanted to come there. 
You know, it's not by chance that you're sitting in church here today. If there's a heart that's longing to know of Jesus, it's not by chance. These things aren't by chance, but that God orchestrates these whole things according to His will and His purpose. And He draws us into the place and into the hearing of His Word, where our heart can be quickened under that hearing of Christ and be brought to a place where the living knowledge of salvation can be brought unto us. This is what Jesus is able to do, but it is something that he has to do. And so it is that it's not by chance that he was in Samaria, and it's not by chance that he is here, and if you're here, and if you're longing to hear the voice of salvation. It's not by chance, but it's according to the grand design of God and how he calls men unto himself. We don't understand how it works. We're just mere mortals on this side of it. But we just say, thanks be to God that you work your plan of salvation even into our hearts and lives so that we are able to know Jesus in our life. No, we won't understand this fully, but we do get little glimpses of it, don't we? And then he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey, he sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. And then cometh the woman of Samaria to drink water, and Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. Now what happened here? Jesus comes to the place, he's a human, he starts to feel tired. And as he, as, as he comes to the well and he sits down there, there's a woman who comes to draw water. Now Jesus went across two cultural barriers here in this one setting. First of all, it wasn't like we said that the Jews were not people who would go and talk to Samaritans because they were so much better. They didn't have to deal with them and they didn't have to feel convicted because they went and dealt with these people. It wasn't that way at all. But Jesus, you know, he comes down to even those of us people who have maybe become so tainted in this life with sin. But he doesn't look upon us and say that because you're not as good as me that I'm not going to have anything to do with you. But he says it's for that very reason that I'm going to come and deal with you because you're such a sinner. Because there is no other hope or no other help for you at all. And that's the only way you're going to come to know any joy in life is if I come and I seek you. And the second thing that he broke down is that Jesus, in the society as it was, it wasn't something that men would even stop and in public address women. And so that's why this was a doubly shocking thing to this woman. Why would Jesus do this? Why would this man do this? Of course, she didn't know at this time it was the Lord. She just knew it was a Jew who had come here. And why was he here, first of all, in this place? And then secondly, why is he talking to me? You know, sometimes because of different reasons or perhaps things that happen in our life or who we are, sometimes we get to that place in our life that we feel that God doesn't care about us, that God can't care about me because of who I am. Oh, maybe I'm too great a sinner or, or who knows the reasons of what may have happened in our life that just makes us feel unfit for who God would want us to be. But that's exactly the reason that Jesus came here. He didn't come to heal those who are whole. He didn't come to heal those because it's, the scripture tells us that those who are whole, they don't need a physician. But he came for those who are broken and those who are sick. Those who limp along in life and don't have anything seemingly of beauty in themselves. But those are the ones that Jesus finds is so beautiful that he wants to come and draw into his own heart. And so it is that this woman was at this place and Jesus asked her to give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away in the city to buy meat. Jesus was sitting alone with this woman. And then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it thou, being a Jew, askest me to drink, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. 
And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that said unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Jesus then said unto her, Because this woman said, Why are you dealing with me? What are you having to do with me? And Jesus said, You know, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that's talking to you, you would, have, you would ask that I would give, you would ask of me and that I would give you living water. And you know, sometimes that's the way it is, isn't it? That we're sitting in the hearing of God's Word and we don't even know that Jesus is there. We are so stuck on ourselves, or perhaps, perhaps because of some type of despair or whatever it is, we are there and we don't even know that Jesus is there. We don't even know, it just feels to us that the Lord isn't even present, that there's no way He's in the midst, that there's nothing I can feel of, of the Lord here. And that's the way it is until Jesus starts to open the matter of Himself to us. He is completely hidden from our eyes. We are not able to open our eyes. Remember those travelers on the road to Emmaus. It says their eyes were holden, that they would not know Him. Well, how was He revealed then? It started, he started to be revealed, as Dave has even just relayed to us, by, from the books of Moses, he started to speak of himself. What happened? Did they know him? No, they didn't know him at all, but it says that their hearts started to burn. There started to be that type of a joy started, some type of a drawing towards this man. Couldn't explain it, but it was just there, the burning of the heart. And Maybe there's someone here today that even in the hearing of the Word of God today, your heart has started to burn when you have heard of one who has come and given himself for you. Your heart has started to burn when you have heard from, heard from the foundation of the world that there is somebody that loves you with an eternal love. And your heart has started to burn, and you haven't known why, but you have just sat there in the, in the bench, and you have just started to feel that there's something here that I want. There's something here that I need. And I can only speak of these matters because I've been in that bench like that. I've been in the bench under the hearing of God's word, when the revelation of Jesus was being preached and my heart started to be warmed, but I wasn't a partaker. And oh, it's just, it's such a difficult place to be. But the end of this text brings it to such a nice place that I hope that we're able to speak of it. And so it is that when he said unto him, her that he would give thee living water, and then she said unto him, you know, this, were, this woman was still caught up in natural. She didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. And she said that you don't even have anything to draw with, that how are you going to give me living water? This well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water from? And you know, and that's the way it is. The carnal man doesn't understand spiritual things at all, does he? Nothing. You can talk and talk and talk about spiritual matters to someone who isn't spiritual, and it won't mean anything at all. It's just like if you take someone even in natural occupation, and you take someone like many of you here who are perhaps in construction and, and you go and start talking to me in the details of construction, right away my eyes will get glassy and you'll wonder, well, what's with him? And it's just because I don't know at all what you're talking about. It's not that I'm not interested, but I don't comprehend. It would take a long time to learn. Someone would have to teach me. Someone would have to show me. And that's the way it is with the carnal against the spiritual, even more so. That it's because this is a revealed matter, it's not a learned matter. And then when Jesus then, as he said that this is something that, that told her about living water, and she started to say that, well, you know, you don't even have anything to draw with in this deep well, he then, she then starts to say, well, who are you? She starts to question. 
this person that maybe there's something more here than, than she's thinking about. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Who, are, who is this man? That question starts to be born within her heart. That, who are you? Are you greater than the father Jacob? He gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, his children, and his cattle. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be a, in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Here's the difference. Here's the difference. That water, and if we want to just talk it about as being natural, of course, Jesus was saying here that the water that is of this life and we know that, you know, you can drink water and it's not long we're thirsty again. We require a certain amount of water every day for our bodies. God has set it up that way, that we have to take in water, that our, bo that our body is, is, consists of a great percentage of water, and so we need it for life. But he wasn't speaking about that type of a matter. He was speaking about something here that would be able to sustain this person unto eternity. Because he said... This water that, that you speak of is something that you have to come and draw every day. In the time that they were living, they didn't have running water in their homes like we have. They didn't have these conveniences of, of uh, time that we live in. And so they had a well that was dug, and when they needed water, they went and they, they dipped down into the well, and they, they got water for the day, and they brought it home. You go into a lot of the Bible history and Bible stories, it talks about people meeting at the well, because it was a daily place of gathering. But as it was then... Jesus then wanted to speak to her about something eternal. Because he said, the water that I, will, I will, shall give him is a well of water that will spring up within him. It's not something that will be taken from outside anymore, but it'll be an internal matter. Just inside of you. And what is this? This is none other than Christ Jesus himself coming to live within. Is there someone here, or if we would spiritualize this even, who is living in that type of a life that your Christianity is something that you have to go on the outside always and get water to sustain yourself? Is your Christianity some, as we have even heard of, of some type of a, of, of a religion or form that it is found in ritual or it is found in some type of a form or something you do that makes everything okay for a short time? You know, the world is filled with that type of a religion. And God forbid that in the realms of living Christianity, that this can cancerous type of religion would enter in, where it would be that that would teach that man is able, by taking things from the outside, to make himself acceptable before God, because it's impossible. Jesus speaks here, and he says of that matter, he says, that water that I shall give shall be a well of water springing up within him unto everlasting life. And Jesus tells us, or it's written in the Paul's letters, I believe, that out of the belly of those who are God's own shall flow rivers of living water. It doesn't say they're going to come in. It says they come out. And that is that word. And that is that spirit. That is that Jesus that comes to live within us. That is that refreshment that we find all the time in Christ when we start to become parched and dry. It is even within us that that spirit speaks unto us and starts to tell us and assure us of that salvation. It's something that's within us that refreshes. And so it is that, you know, when you look in the world today, and I guess it's not only today, it's probably, I've heard it all of my life, is that 
The world lives in a type of a place where there is no satisfaction. Never satisfied. And oftentimes, I remember when I was in school that, that the kids would talk about always waiting for the weekend. You know? Monday would come and the Monday blues, you know? And we all heard, heard about them. And then, you know, as the week progresses, we start to feel better and better. Because on the weekend, we can, start, we can have a good time again and we can get refreshed. We can enjoy ourselves. You know, that's the thinking of the world. God's people don't have that. I'm not saying that we don't feel that sometimes in our carnality, but we have something that's far superior to that. We have something within us that we don't need to find the enjoyment of this world to be satisfied. In fact, the things of this world are not able to satisfy us at all, and the things that are of God within us, that well of water springing in within us, is only that which satisfies and I think you know what I'm talking about. You've experienced it, even within your, your heart, that when the things of this life, they become so strangely dim, and the efforts of our salvation, the efforts, efforts of our self-righteousness become so dim, so cold, so weak, that there is only one place that we find strength and we find hope, and that is the Lord Jesus who comes to live and abide within us. This is the water that he was speaking about. The woman then said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come here to draw. She still didn't understand. She was looking for an easy way to get out of doing this daily chore. And that's kind of our nature too. But that's not what Jesus was speaking about. There's a different matter here that he wanted to bring to her. And so Jesus then seems to make a statement that makes no sense at all. And he says, Go call thy husband and come hither. Now why would he ask this? Why would Jesus ask her to go and call her husband and come hither? Well, we understand quickly in the next few verses why. Because the woman answers and says, I have no husband. And Jesus says unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that saidest thou truly. Isn't it amazing how Jesus is able to get to the sin of our own heart and to speak directly to it and that there's no hiding from it? Sometimes we think, you know, we can hide sin from parents or from one another, or husbands from wives or whatever. But we have to be assured of one thing by the Scripture, that we don't hide anything from the Lord. And He knows exactly, exactly what is going on within our heart. And if there's sin there, and that he wants to speak to it. And so I think the next thing of this place is, is that it shows us that Jesus wanted to tell her that sin is something that cannot abide in the place where there will be living water. It has to be rooted out. And so he spoke to the matter of adultery and remarriage and divorce. This is the matter that he spoke to her here. But he spoke to it in a, her in a way that, you know, she, she listened to this, and I think she probably just sat there awestruck that who is this man that is able to bring me to such a consciousness, such a consciousness of what I am just like this. And that's the power of God. It's not a small matter when the sin of our own heart is revealed. It's a very important and it's a very deep matter that takes place. And it involves the grace of God that we would come to that place. Jesus did this himself. And so it is the work of God and it is the work of Christ that we would be brought to the place that we would understand that sin is something that is not compatible with the Christian life. And we've experienced that, haven't we? We've tried that. 
When we've tried to walk in sin and walk in the world, oh, it's so difficult, that straddling the fence. It's no fun. It's so difficult. And how thankful we are when God places it upon our heart and he says that, don't be two-faced anymore. But you are what you are. Admit what you are. And be honest. And be honest. And in that truth you will find there is such a release. There is such a release from that bondage of self-denial and that hypocrisy of living. That's what Jesus needed to root out here. He did not want to tell her that this spirit that I wanted to give unto you is something that is going to be able to come in. But he said it has to be a cleansed house that I come and live in. And that cleansing will be done when I speak unto you and I start to speak the message unto you that those things in the light of that bright light of Christ as we spoke the other night even, when that light of Christ starts to shine within the heart of man, that floodlight starts to come in there. You know, it doesn't miss anything, does it? But we don't only look then and start to talk about particular sin and say that, well, this one, and we can defend that one, and I can maybe get away with this one. It's not that way at all. But we have to acknowledge before God that we're total sin. And then what do we, when we're brought to that knowledge, what are we able to say? God help us. God help us. Because in anything we do, in any of our good efforts, in anything that we do in life, it's all defiled because it's tainted by man. Man's touch upon it has defiled everything, even of those good things that we would want to do. And then within our heart begins that cry and that longing for that Savior who has been perfect. And we ask him then, as he started to show himself, as she said, I have no husband. He said, Thou hast had five husbands, and him who thou now hast is not thy husband. And that saidest thou truly. The woman then said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh, when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The last part of this, the last verse that we read says that we will be in spirit and truth. Well, the scripture tells us one thing. When Jesus said, unless I go away, the comforter will not come. But when he is come, he will come and he will Reveal unto the world, he will speak of righteousness. And Jesus says that all of those things that I spoke unto you, that I will, the, the Comforter will come and he will bring them to remembrance. For we know that the Bible tells us that the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So even in the law of Moses and in the, in the knowledge of sin, which is good and right, then as it is in the light of Christ, where the grace and the truth where this is opened and revealed unto our own hearts. And where does that happen? I think Jesus is speaking about it here. She starts to tell him that, that uh, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. She started to talk about carnal settings now, to say that there's something important here in this place, that we're people and, and uh, we worship here, but you say it should be here. You ever hear that kind of talk? And you know, we spend so much of our life, and I'm not saying that every church teaches the true message. I'm not saying that. 
But if our focus is upon looking upon an external church and trying to find one that is good enough, you're going to look till you die. You are never going to find a perfect church as far as the gathering of people. But Jesus said, For the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and the Father seeketh such to worship. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. We can look and we can look and we can look. And like I said, I think it will be an endless search. But you know there is one church. There is a church that we all can be members in. There is a place that the truth is revealed. There is a place that the truth penetrates the heart of men. There is a church that God erected. And that church is on Golgotha's Mount. There is a church that was erected there by none other. No human hand had a part in it. Because it couldn't. The only part that the human hand had in it was bringing the erector of that church to that place. And there it was that with our sins we have crucified the Lord of glory. But what happened from that crucifixion, that which we inflicted upon him, there he has erected a church where we are all able to gather in where our hearts can be knit together in love, and where we do not look upon one another then in that type of a light to say that you're not as good as me. Because we have to admit, every one of us in that place, in the light of that knowledge of who Jesus is and what he has done, every one of us then becomes a beggar of grace, and we find ourselves on our faces, worshiping the living and true God, and telling him, thank you, Jesus, that you have erected that church that stood there and will stand through all the time of eternity that church that we will sing praises to even when we leave from this life. And I think it's this way, that if we are sincere in our desire and God draws us onto this eternal church that he has erected, you will always find yourself in the gathering of God's people. You won't have to wonder because there will be a kindred spirit that will speak from heart to heart that will speak of this blessed matter about Jesus and his redemption. And we will know then that we are the children of God because we are then hid in him. And Jesus, as he says here, he comes to live within us. No more do we have to spend our life in entanglement of this outward thing. You know, that's the work of the devil. He just wants us to set our eyes upon everything else except Jesus and what he has done. He wants everything to be fixed upon that. And he will do it. He will pit man against man. He's been doing it since the beginning of time. And he will continue it to the very end. But are you able within your own heart to be humbled Oh no, you can't of your own self. But in this church that Jesus has erected, there the crumbling and the crushing of man's heart takes place. There in that place, in the light of the glory of God, then we are able to admit that who am I to start to look upon someone else and to look down upon them? Who am I to start to think that I'm a better person than someone else? But then from the pit of the bottom, we have to admit that God be merciful to me, a sinner, because I am the one who has done this to you. And I thank you that, Father, that in this that you have done, that you have not completely looked upon me and said, because of what you have done, that I don't want you anymore. But it's because of what we have done that his great compassion and his love has then been turned towards us. And he has come and he has picked us up. He has placed us into this church, this living church that we live in even today. This church that gives unto us righteousness, peace, and joy. This church wherein we live and we move and we have our being, where we are able then to know that salvation is ours. We don't have to be like this woman outside 
The woman said unto him, I know that when Messiah cometh, which is called Christ, when he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Do you remember when that happened? When all the question and all the doubt was removed away. When all of the wondering, when all of the churchianity, when all of the religion, when all of the self-righteousness, when everything, all of those things get, get in the way that God wants to remove and He wants to clean out, sweep to the side, so that one bright and glowing matter would be there and be there left. This is when this matter is opened, as it was said here by Jesus. I that speak unto thee am he. Oh, how the heart of the redeemed starts to beat with joy in that knowledge that Jesus has come and he has said, Here I am. I'm here for you. Here I am. I have, I have given myself for you. And here I am so that you can have an abundant life. Abundant life that you would know all of the good treasures that I have. In verse 27, it tells us that, And upon this came his disciples. Remember, in the beginning we read that they had left to buy meat. And they marveled that he talked with this woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot, and went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is this not the Christ? Then they went out of the city, and they came unto him. And in the meanwhile his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. And he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore his disciples said one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? And Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. It says that she left her water pot. I think that little line is so great. She left her water pot. No more digging in the well. No more dipping way down deep. No more trying to pull up that to satisfy because her soul had seen the Messiah. She had seen the Lord and then all was satisfied. All is then settled. That whole debt with God has been settled. She then can leave the water pot behind and so it is for us even in this life. In the knowledge and the beauty and the revelation of Christ, all of that working of man ends. And God then comes and starts to live and abide and to move in us. Then it becomes of God. Then the work of man has ceased. In the revelation of Jesus and his great redemption. And as she left her water pot, she went her way into the city. She started to speak unto people, Come see a man. Come see a man. He told me everything that I did. Is this not the Christ? It's so common of the testimony of the Christian. When we have come to know Jesus as our Savior, when our sins have been all forgiven, when that matter has all been settled within your heart before the righteous Father, that you don't have to fret over that anymore, that is, is it all paid for? Have I done enough? No, when that matter is all settled before the eternal Father, through that work which Jesus has accomplished, then we are able to go and to speak of this matter to others. Come and see this Jesus. Come and see this Jesus. Is this not the Messiah? Is this not the Christ? And then they went out of the city. They came to him. And in the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. 
And therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. His disciples that had even followed him all these years, they still didn't know what he was up to. And right away they were concerned if he had enough food. He who had created all of heaven and earth by his own word, his disciples are wondering if he's got anything to eat. Well, it's a good concern. And it's not wrong that they would be concerned about Jesus. But Jesus is very sufficient in himself. Because he then told them, My meat is to do, to finish, as he says here, to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Is there someone in your life that you're praying for? I know in my life there's... And how often we wrestle with the matter and we pray to God that he would complete a work within someone's heart would be so nice if we would be able to take that gift that God has placed within us and to place it within the heart of someone else. Wouldn't it be nice? But it doesn't work that way. God's kingdom doesn't work that way, and the revelation of Jesus doesn't work that way. But I find such comfort in Scripture like this, that Jesus isn't concerned about natural things. He's not concerned about his own eating here. His concern is to finish that work. And if there's someone here that's wrestling with a place of an incomplete work you feel within your heart. Remember the promise of God's word. His place was to come and to finish that. The will of him, do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And we know that this work was finished as he cried from Calvary. It is finished. But also I believe it's more that he wants to complete it within the hearts of men because we must be made recipients of it. It's not only that Jesus paid the price of redemption, but that we become partakers in redemption. And that is also up to the Lord. That's not something that we're able to do. But so we cry unto God, even as a group of people here today, that reveal yourself unto us in your fullness and your beauty. Show us what you have done. And also for those that we love and those that we care about, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee, be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you, Father, for your eternal word. Thank you for sending Jesus here to pay the price for our salvation and so that we can even rest in him today as you give all good things unto us we understand and we're thankful that you have also given for our natural portion and we ask that you would bless and strengthen our bodies by it and we ask it in Jesus name amen There's food prepared for everybody downstairs. All are welcome and invited to partake. Our services for this season will conclude tonight at 6 o'clock. In closing this afternoon, we'll sing song 607.